Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, what a week for global stock markets, but in particular, I'm going to talk about the U.S. stock market, which had its worst week in, I think, four years. The Dow Jones was down better than 1,000 points. It's now down over 10% from its peak. That puts it in official correction territory. You know, Wall Street defines a correction as a decline of 10% or more. Now, if you go down 20% or more, they define that as a bear market. You know, one third of the stocks in the S&P 500 are already in bear markets by that definition because they're already down more than 20% from their highs. Now, the Dow lost better than half of those 1,000 points today. The Dow was down 530 points. That is the, I think, ninth biggest point decline ever. Probably not the ninth biggest percentage decline, but certainly the biggest point decline. And that's on top of the, what, about 350 points we dropped on Thursday. And, you know, on Thursday, we broke below some key technical levels. So to me, this drop was pretty much inevitable. There could be a bigger one looming for Monday, though. You know, this is very reminiscent, I think, of the weekend before Black Monday back in 1987. You know, we had a big drop on a Friday, and everybody was still complacent prior to that Friday. They were taken kind of by surprise, uh, but nobody really was anticipating the 508-point decline uh, the following Monday, which was about a 20% drop, right? Today's 530%, 530-point decline, that's only about 3%. 
because the Dow was much higher uh, back in uh, 87. It was, what, 25, 2600. I forget exactly where it was. And this time, the Dow was over 17,000 uh, before it dropped 530 points. We closed at 16,459. But we are well below support. We're only about 300 points above the lows from October last year. And that was when Bullard saved the market, sent the Dow up 2,000 points in less than two months by talking about the possibility of QE4. And, you know, Bullard was out today, you know, and, and he didn't throw the markets a badly needed life preserver like he did last time. This time he threw the market an anchor. Bullard came out and said, hey, everything looks good. I still think the Fed should raise rates in September, right? Although he said that the Fed hadn't decided yet what it was going to do, which to me, again, is ridiculous. Because if you're two or three weeks away from the September meeting and interest rates have been at zero for six or seven years, how could you not know now what you're going to do in a few weeks? I mean, you're really waiting for the next couple of weeks worth of data? I mean, how could the data that comes out over the next couple of weeks be so influential? Because first of all, whatever comes out over the next couple of weeks, they can revise it the following month. And of course, even if we get a good number or a bad number, theoretically, the following month, it could be the exact opposite. How can it all boil down to the data that comes out over the next couple of weeks, but all the data over the last few years are irrelevant because it all boils down to the next couple of weeks? This is absurd, right? The theater of the absurd, what's even more absurd is that people take this theater seriously because obviously there's no way the Fed could be raising rates, but they don't want to admit that. So, you know, this is a giant game of chicken that the Federal Reserve is playing with the markets, right? The Fed is pretending it's going to it's going to raise rates and maybe the market is pretending to believe them. And that is why the market is going down. And when is the Fed going to blink, right? When are they going to veer from this collision course? Because until the Fed says uncle and admits that rates aren't going up, the market is going to keep going down because why wouldn't it? What would stop it? Think about where we are. Valuations are extremely high. And the Fed is about to go from supporting the market to leaning against the market, right? What's that old Wall Street adage? Don't fight the Fed. Well, why would you want to fight the Fed? If the Fed is finally going to embark on a rate tightening cycle, why would you want to own this market? After all, earnings are already falling, and that's before the Fed raises rates. The economy is decelerating. The The peak of the cycle is behind us. So we're headed back towards recession. So earnings are going to be under pressure. The economy is weak. Valuations are high and the Fed's going to raise rates. Why would you want to step in front of that freight train? Right? The market's got to go down. Valuations have to come down. If earnings are coming down and interest rates are going to go up, the stock market has to go down. You know, I think that the stock market will surrender all of its ill-gotten uh, Fed gains uh, from the lows in 2009. If the Fed were to actually do what it is pretending it can do, we will go all the way back down to the lows of 2009, March of 2009, because none of those gains were real. It wasn't because the economy improved, because we became more productive, because of a genuine increase in corporate earnings. It was all about Fed engineering. It was quantitative easing and 0% interest rates. Those were the two props 
that the Fed used to artificially prop up the market. They've already removed one, QE. That's why the market has gained no ground since the Fed ended QE. Right? All of the post-QE3 gains have been eradicated. The market has gone sideways since the Fed took away the first prop. But the markets have built, still been teetering on the second prop, which is 0% interest rates. But now everybody thinks the Fed's going to remove that prop. Well, then there's nothing beneath the market but a bunch of air, right? And the market is going to tank, and it's going to bring the economy down with it, right? We're going to reverse all of the supposed progress because none of the problems have been solved. The market tried to solve the problems in 2008, 2009 that the Fed created, but the Fed didn't let the market do the work that needed to be done because it was too painful. So instead, the Fed compounded the problems by doing more of the monetary policy that caused it. Yet all of the fools on Wall Street who didn't understand the cause of the 2008 financial crisis, because they were completely blindsided by it, they're the ones that thought all the problems were solved and they didn't realize that they were worse than ever. And now we're getting a little taste of it here. As I said, the market should be under pressure until the Fed changes its tune. And let's see, maybe we get a Black Monday if the market really starts to go down. If we go down 300 points and then we break through those October lows, what is the Fed going to do? Sit on its hands and watch it happen? I always said they were going to look for an excuse why they can't raise rates. They're not going to admit that the whole thing was a bluff the entire time. That's the last thing they're going to do. So they're going to have to have an excuse as to why they can't do what they were really planning on doing. And they can say it's because of the global uh, markets or uncertainty. I don't know what this is going to be. But you know what? This is just a lie. And this stock market in the U.S. is not going down because of China. Everybody is blaming this decline on the decline in China. Well, we've had plenty of declines in the last couple of months in China. We've had plenty of days that were bigger than yesterday, I think, and it didn't affect this market. I mean, maybe the Chinese market was down last night because the Dow dropped 350. Although I think it's bigger than that. See, I think what's really causing problems in China is the same thing that's causing problems in the rest of the emerging markets. And that is the Fed and the perception that the Fed's going to be raising rates. But the media doesn't want to talk about this as being a U.S. problem because they don't want U.S. investors to worry about the real problems that are threatening the economy and the stock market. So they want to blame it all on China. Right. Or blame it on Greece, because then nobody has to worry. See, if our market is only going down as an overreaction to problems in China, well, then we don't have to really worry about it. Right. Because, hey, we're going to shrug this off. It's just the market reacting to something that's happening over there. But the fundamentals are sound over here. In fact, <laughs> I got a call from a producer at Al Jazeera America and she called me. I was in my car coming back from the airport and she wanted to know if I can do her show tonight at eight o'clock to talk about the stock market. And I said, sure, you know, I'd be happy to talk about the stock market. She said, great. Give me, uh, you know, let's do a little pre-interview. You know, why do you think it's going down? And so I went over all of my reasons and she said, oh, well, that's really interesting. Uh, let me call you back. You know, I mean, you know, she has to schedule the, uh, you know, the satellite time. And then when she calls me back, she says, you know, I talked to our producers and we really want you to talk about China and how, the problems in China are causing the U.S. market to go down. And I said, well, but China's not the reason our market is going down. And she said, but, but look, I'm reading all these headlines. And she read me a bunch of headlines. It says our market is going down because of China. And I said, well, that's not why it's going down. That's the spin 
that everybody wants to put on it, right? Blame it on China so we don't have to blame it on you know the real the real problem. So let's make an excuse that's palatable uh, to the public. But I said, look, do you want another excuse or do you want me to tell the truth? Because I, I can't go on your show and just blame the U.S. stock market decline on China because that's not why it's going down. And she said, okay, let me, let me, let me check with my you know, producer or my boss and call you back. And then she called me back and said they're going to pass on having me as a guest, but they thanked me and they, you know, maybe they'll call me again. So here, they only wanted me to come on to talk about the, the market going down if I was prepared to blame it on China. But China is not the reason. I mean, China is going down and it's part of the fact that the Fed is going to raise rates. And here is what's really hurting the emerging markets right now. It's that those currencies are now taking the brunt of the selling by people who are expecting the Fed rate hike. It used to be the euro was weak or the yen was weak, but not now. The euro closed at almost 114 today. Very, very strong. The dollar was down against the yen, against the Swiss franc. It was even down a little bit against the British pound. The dollar index closed at 94.80. We were up at 98 last week. 94.80. 93.50 is the key support. We closed below 93.50. That's it. This dollar is going to implode. It's going to be a major decline, and it's going to spread to the rest of these currencies. See, right now, it's the emerging market currencies. It's commodities that are still under pressure because nobody can short the euro anymore. And remember all the people that were trapped short the euro? I kept saying that. Go back and listen to my podcasts. The euro got down to 105 in March. People were saying parity, it's a sure thing. And I said, no, the euro's going to rise. As bad as things are in Europe, they're worse in the United States. The euro's going to go up. And sure enough, we're at 114. And if we get through 114, the euro is going to go on a big move up, especially, right, especially if the Fed caves and comes out and throws the market a real lifeline and not another a Bullard anchor, but the original Bullard life preserver that came out back in October of last year. And speaking about, you know, the euro going up, what about gold? Gold closed at 1160. It's up 80 bucks in the last two weeks. 80 bucks. We could be back over 1200 next week. What happened to gold collapsing below 1000? Two weeks ago, we had hedge funds for the first time ever net short gold. <laughs> well, how's that trade working out for them now? So we got a lot of people trapped short gold, a lot of people trapped short the euro. Right now, they're trying to press these uh, pro dollar bets on weaker currencies because they can't push the euro down anymore. They can't push gold down. So they're trying for things like the Thai bot, the Mexican peso, the Indonesian rupee, or you know the Kazakhstan, whatever their currency is over there that dropped at 20%. So they're putting pressure on the smaller currencies because they can't press the big currencies anymore. But this is probably the last throws of this dollar bull based on the rate hikes that aren't going to happen. You know, I, I use this uh, you know analogy before, but I keep thinking about it because it's so appropriate. But I didn't use it exactly in this context. It had to do with the recovery. But it reminds me again of that Seinfeld episode where um, George Costanza is in a car driving his in-laws to his make-believe Hamptons beach house because this is like George Costanza is like Janet Yellen and his uh, in-laws in the back seat are, are the markets and George is pretending that he's going to raise rates and the markets are pretending that they believe him and the question is 
who is going to blink first, right? In the show, I remember George is, you know, he's driving about because first he was talking about the house in the Hamptons and they know he doesn't have a house in the Hamptons, but George can't admit it and they don't want to admit that they know that he's lying. So they're both pushing this lie. And so George, right, let me drive you out there. And as he's driving him out there, he starts talking about his house and they ask him questions. He's all, oh, you know, he's got a couple of solariums, right? I never was it. He didn't have just one. He had two solariums. He had horses, right? And he told them the names. They were uh, Snoopy and Prickly Pete were the names of these horses. And so and then, they, you know, they're in the backseat. Oh, there's a gift shop. Right. Oh, let's stop. We want to get you a housewarming gift. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're both continue. They both know that there's no house, but no one wants to admit it. And this is like the rate hike is that Hampton Beach House. And everybody knows, really, they sh that they can't ever get to that beach house. That's why they can never define what the data is that they're depending on, right? Because there, there is no way they can raise it, raise rates, just like George doesn't have that beach house. They can talk about it. They can pretend to buy gifts and talk about the horses and all that. But there's nothing there. At the end of the journey, there's no beach house. At the end of this six, seven-year journey, there can't be a rate hike. And if there is, and again, if the Fed is that dumb to raise rates, right, because given the box they're in, it would be idiocy for the Fed to raise rates. Because if they raise rates, they look like bigger idiots than if they never raise them, right? Because if they raise rates, they have to cut them back to zero. They look like complete fools. If they don't raise rates, they can at least say, ah, you see, we were right to be cautious because now there's another dip in the recession. And, you know, they don't have to admit that their policy was a failure. They can just say we need more of it. It was succeeding. It was working. And we just need a, a larger dose, right? That's what Paul Krugman is going to say. In fact, I read this article by Paul Krugman who said, hey, the only problem in the world economy is governments don't have enough debt. I mean, does this idiot not realize that it's all the debt that governments have that is the problem? Well, I guess not. I guess that's a hypothetical question because he doesn't realize anything. And so, of course, he comes up with a ridiculous statement like we need more debt, right? We need more debt like we need a, a hole in the head. You know, the only piece of economic data that came out today, right? And of course, if the Fed were data dependent, right, data like this would be very important. Right. We got the August manufacturing PMI number. It was supposed to rise, right, because we had a pretty bad number in July. So August was supposed to be an improvement. Yet August dropped again. It fell to 52.9. That's the lowest level since October of 2013. That's almost two years ago. And it was the biggest miss, right, relative to what analysts expected in two years. Right? Another really bad data point on a string of data points. If the Fed were data dependent, they would have already admitted that they can't raise rates. See, that's one of the things that I assumed was going to happen. See, when when this year began or last year ended, I was saying the economy was going to be much weaker than anyone was forecasting. And I was right about that. But, you know, I thought that the Fed would have been forced to acknowledge the obvious, right? Because if the Fed said, well, we're going to raise interest rates if the data warrants it, well, the data hasn't warranted. In fact, the Fed always said that we could adjust our monetary policy based on the data, right? When they first tapered QE, they always said, well, but if the economy weakens, we can rev QE back up, right? They always talked about both ways that, you know, if the data is strong, then we'll continue to taper and maybe eventually raise rates. But if the data is weak, we might have to, you know, restart QE. That's what they were saying. So I thought 
that by now the Fed would have had to admit that the economy was weak and they would have either taken the rate hikes off the table or restarted QE4 already, given how weak the the data is. But the Fed hasn't done it. They are driving this car to the Hamptons in a way that I never would have imagined. They are making up stuff. They are ignoring the obvious. I, you know, I didn't realize that they were going to step it up uh, so many notches and continue this pretense. I mean, you know, they are pay- playing a very dangerous game. If I want to go back to the chicken analogy, they run the chance of crashing into the oncoming car. If they don't blink, if they don't do something to take these rate hikes off the table and give the drug addicts what they need, which is another fix of QE with the launch of QE4. Of course, long term, that's the last thing the markets need. The, the, mar- the markets need and the economy needs tight money. But that is going to lead to a much bigger financial crisis than the one we had in 2008. It would lead to bank failures and defaults, not only on private debt, but on government debt, on U.S. Treasuries. There would be defaults. Uh, And that's better than the massive inflation that we're going to end up suffering because they're not going to allow that to happen. But that is the situation that we're in. And nobody seems to understand that. And, you know, I was reading an article regarding the Fed's balance sheet and how uh, it was talking about, well, how much will the Fed lose? on its balance sheet if interest rates rise, right? And the losses will be huge. But the article said, well, we don't have to worry about those losses because the Fed is planning on holding the bonds to maturity, so we'll never have to mark them to market. Well, the Fed isn't going to have the luxury of holding bonds to maturity if it needs to fight inflation. You know, a lot of those bonds that the Fed is holding don't mature for 20 or 30 years. You just can't hold on to those. What if the Fed has to shrink its balance sheet? What if the Fed has to tighten interest rates? It has to have something to sell. And if it sells bonds at a loss, then it's going to eat that loss. Now, some people can say, well, they could try to just, you know, pay the banks uh, higher uh, on their reserves, pay them more money. But then, but we're backed by what? Those are going to be huge losses. They put more money out into circulation without having any assets on their balance sheet to back it up. The Federal Reserve is going to go further and further into bankruptcy. And if the Federal Reserve is technically bankrupt, you know, how can we be the issuer of the reserve currency? This is the box that the Fed is in, right? Because raising interest rates bankrupts itself because the Fed is more levered up than anybody else. The Fed needs low interest rates to pretend that it's solvent. And of course, it knows that the U.S. Treasury needs low interest rates so it can make it can operate under the same pretense because everybody is broke. And this whole thing, it is an illusion. And you know what? The stock market is finally coming back down to earth. And this is just a precursor for the overall economy. And again, I was reading these articles about how, oh, the Fed doesn't have to worry about the stock market going down, you know, like it used to, because not that many Americans own stock anymore, like like used to, which, first of all, is kind of an acknowledgement about how, you know, weak this recovery really is because the average American is too broke even after this recovery to own any stock because he's living paycheck to paycheck, right? Diminished part-time paycheck to diminished part-time paycheck. So yes, a lot of Americans are not partaking in the gains, right? It's the 1%, right? That owns stocks. But those wealthy people that own stocks are important in this bubble economy. First of all, they are spending, right? There's a lot of high-end consumption that's still been going on, right? That's going to stop. 
right? So there's still going to be uh, impact of consumption. There is a big wealth effect for some people, but also corporations have been buying back shares. I mean, and they've been buying them back at ridiculous prices. And now if the market goes down and they've blown all their cash on buybacks, how are they going to maintain profitability? They're going to have to start laying people off. In fact, a lot of small business owners probably have money in the stock market, right? Maybe their employees don't, right? But they do. And if they lose a bundle in the stock market, they might have to fire some people. They may not be able to make the capital investments if they've just taken a huge hit on their stock market. And of course, a lot of Americans, even though they don't have money directly in the stock market, they still have 401ks or pensions that are tied to the stock market. And of course, if they see those accounts go down, perish the thought, they may decide that they have to save more money to try to replenish uh, the nest there. And so, look, to say that there's no more wealth effect, of course there is. In fact, the entire purpose of QE was the wealth effect. Ben Bernanke said it. He laid it on the line. He said, we're doing this to make stock prices go up and real estate prices go up. And of course, if the stock market is going to go down, real estate prices are probably going to go down too especially since it's been the high end that's been propping up the market. And that's where the wealth effect in the stock market comes in. And again, who's been buying up all these single family homes? Because homeownership rates in America are the lowest since 1967. It's a lot of private equity funds and hedge funds that have been buying up single family homes. Well, those same hedge funds also have a lot of stocks. And what if their stock portfolios are getting clobbered and their cost of borrowing money is going up? If they've got a bunch of empty single-family homes that aren't cash flowing, they're going to put those homes on the market. And what's going to happen? The prices are going to plunge because who's going to buy them? Nobody. Nobody can afford it. Prices are still much too high. So if the Fed wants to try to keep the air in this bubble, it's going to have to blow pretty damn hard. And what does that mean? That means it's got to take the rate hikes off the table and put QE4 back on the table. Again, it's going to have to be a QE smorgasbord, a huge buffet of quantitative easing. That's how much we're going to need. And we might find out next week because there's a lot of risk, as I said to be in this podcast, for Monday. Right? And I'm sure the Fed is worried as much as they don't want to admit it. They do not want another Black Monday on their hands. And of course, what did the Fed do after Black Monday? Oh, they cut rates. They, they stimulate. Well, you're at zero right now. Right. I mean, you know, this would be a very, very bad time for the Fed to be caught having to deal with a stock market crash. So if they want to preempt that, they have better do something quickly to try to assuage the fears that are in the market and turn these dynamics. Right. If they want to get take the pressure off the emerging markets, take the pressure off commodities. Right. They're going to have to admit that they're not going to raise rates. And if they do that, it is a huge game changer. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news 
where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthandmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthandmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth and Media RS feed by visiting truthandmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.